Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. The rest of us, I draw our attention to Exodus chapter 21 this morning, Exodus chapter 21. In a moment, we will read verses 12 through the end of the chapter. My depravity is so deep. My sin is so great that it took the shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God to save me. That is why we preach Christ crucified. What does the gospel do? The gospel does not hide us. The gospel exposes us. It exposes us to say, my sin was so great that Jesus Christ had to die for me. The cross lays us open and bare. Does not hide our sin, does not look over our sin, does not pretend our sin is not there. It deals with our sin in the way that it must be dealt with. And I pray that we would preach Christ crucified. Because it's the only hope. It's the only hope for ruined sinners. I drove through the backwoods of South Carolina last week, seeing churches sprinkled throughout the landscape from First Baptist to African Methodist Episcopal to Church of Christ to Seacoast Church. That sounds really cool. My thought was, do they preach Christ crucified? Do they preach the gospel? I pray that the churches in our land would preach Christ crucified and that we would preach Christ crucified. That is our commitment here. So with that, how in the world am I going to preach Christ crucified from Exodus 21? By God's grace. Would you stand as we read together 
Exodus 21, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the, ju- as the judges determined. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. When a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one, ox, when one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Father, bring to the right way those who stray from the truth so that we all may unanimously serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our fleeting lives. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
You may be seated. How much is a life worth? Can you put a price on it? A value on life? Can you quantify it? Can you hold it in your hand and say, look, this is how much a life is worth? How would you answer that question? How much is a life worth? And do we answer any differently than the world might answer that question? Do we have a different standard, a different system, a different worldview when it comes to the value of life? Is there any distinction, any line of demarcation between us and the world where we would say, this is what a life is worth, and it's different from how the world values life, what the world says about life, and we look around in our culture, unfortunately, we see so much death in our culture, and we see a culture that promotes death. Do we have a different answer than the world when it comes to how much is a life worth? Or would we say, it depends. Whose life are we talking about? The life in question, in our minds, might produce different answers. Are we talking about my life? Are we talking about the life of my spouse? Are we talking about my kids' lives? Are we talking about my grandkids' lives? Are we talking about the people I hold dear? What's the answer then? These lives are priceless. You can't put a price on them. They mean more to me than the whole world. They are worth more than anything that I can imagine. But what if we're talking about the lives of people who aren't like us? What if we are talking about the lives of people that we would disagree with? What if we're talking about people that we would quickly call names or deride or slander? People of whom we would say, I don't know how they can do the things that they do. I don't know how they can think the things that they think. I can't believe that they hold to those values. By the way that we talk about them and think about them, how much do we really think their life is worth? Is it possible to go any further to thinking about how much a life is worth? What about those who have hurt you? What about those who have injured you? What about those whom you've accumulated a laundry list in your mind of all the ways that they have offended you? What about those who persecute you? What about those who would do evil to you? What about those who are your enemies? 
how much is their life worth? But you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how much they've hurt me. You don't know how they've wounded me. You don't know how wicked they are. At this point, the worth of your life and my life often is at odds with the worth of their life and their butting heads against each other. Why would I say such a thing? Because it's at this point where the worth of our life, how we value it, and the lives of others who are our enemies, as they butt heads, we begin to say something like, I will make them pay. I want them to experience all the hurt, all the harm, all the injury that they have caused me. I want revenge, and we set ourselves up as judge, jury, and executioner. How often in wanting revenge might someone desire to go even beyond what they have experienced? I want them to know a hurt greater than what I've experienced. I want to take matters into my own hands. The problem is we often lack self-control and don't know when to stop. And so we come again to this question, what is a life worth? How valuable is life? And can we say, it depends? Or do we set ourselves up as the determiners as to which lives are worth more than other lives? In Exodus 21, God is beginning to communicate to Moses and his people in what is referred to as the Book of the Covenant. It's how the Israelites are supposed to live in relationship with God, how they are supposed to live their lives before Him. And these are words that are coming directly from the Lord, from Yahweh, to Moses, to His people. This is God speaking. It isn't man cold, lifeless list of do's and don'ts. They are judgments and rules that God is putting before the people in the book of the covenant that's meant to glorify Him, that's meant to bring Him glory. It's meant to tell the truth about who He is. It's meant to reveal God to the watching world. And oftentimes when we think about rules or judgments, so oftentimes we think about ourselves. But here as God is giving us graciously these words, He's not only telling us about ourselves, but He's telling us about Himself. He says, this is who I am. This is what I value. This is what I long for. This is what I love. If you're going to be my people and have my name upon you, then this is how you have to live. And at the very beginning, Yahweh starts by speaking about the necessity to protect life. Think of the priority of our Lord. Where is God going to start in talking about living life in relationship with Him? He's going to start with the priority of life. Our Lord is the Lord of life. He created life. 
He gives life. He sustains life. He upholds life. He is the author of life. In him is life, and the life is the light of men. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Apart from him, there is no life. God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And our Lord is concerned with life, and he tells us why life must be protected. Now, we're moving a little slow over these verses. And some of these passages of Scripture, and I'm doing that deliberately. Because it's meant to encourage you. It's meant to encourage you in your Bible reading. It's meant to encourage you when you're reading through the Bible and you come to a passage like this and you're like, what does that have to do with me? I don't know about you, but I don't have any ox in my backyard. Or a donkey that can fall into a pit. What do these have to do with me? And so going over these verses, I hope would encourage you that you can read these verses and they are relevant to you today. God's word is profitable. Even Exodus 21, even in these verses that seem obscure, even in these verses where you might say, I don't know what in the world that has to do with me, verses that we might, if we're honest, want to skim over, want to read quickly, maybe even a chapter that our eyes would begin to glaze over and <laughs> we get to the end of it and we don't really remember what we just read. Have you ever done that before? Let us pray that as we go through these verses, we learn together how to read the Bible better and even see how these verses can be applied to our lives in the way that we live today. Three weeks ago, three weeks ago, and let me just say, so thankful for Eric to fill this pulpit while I was gone the past couple weeks on vacation. Three weeks ago, we began reading this chapter together. and The first point that we saw there in your bulletin, if you want to follow along, it's helpful for you. We must view slavery in light of our relationship to God. So as the first 11 verses talked about slavery, we drew the connection with how everyone is a slave. Everyone, in fact, is born a slave, born a slave to sin. But that through Jesus Christ, we can be freed from our slavery to sin, free from the control of sin that would have power over our lives, free from the dominion of sin in our lives, and now, as the Bible talks about, be slaves to God, wanting to obey Him. So as we think about slavery there, and as we talked about slavery, we saw ultimately that how that points to how it should inform our relationship to God, how we live for Him, to live rightly in light of that relationship to Him. Not to be clouded by how we might define slavery, even in our own day, because of the awful things that have happened in the past of our country. 
but to seek to understand how the Bible defines slavery, what it is, and what it means to live as those who are slaves to God appropriately. Number two, though, is what we'll talk about this morning. We must view injury in light of our need for ransom and redemption in Christ. We must view injury in light of our need for ransom and redemption in Christ. What happens when you put people together who live in close proximity to one another? What happens with families who live underneath the same roof? What happens when the Lord gathers a million or more people together to live together in close proximity as they have been living together in the wilderness all of these years? It's tricky. It's difficult. It's hard. Why? Because relationships, loving one another, is difficult and tricky and hard. Because when you have people that are living in that close of proximity to one another, what's going to happen? People are going to be hurt. People are going to be injured. That's what happens here in a fallen world. As people live in such close proximity to one another, they are bound to injure, hurt, and harm someone else. That really describes this section of Scripture here from verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Injury, harm. And it could be as egregious as murder. It could be as severe as a life-altering injury or it could be as light of an injury that someone could recover from. We could even see it as injury to someone's property. Like at the very end, injury to ox or donkey. And if you simply follow some of these verses, you can see how it's emphasized. Verse 12 strikes. Verse 15 strikes. Verse 18 strikes. Verse 20 strikes. Verse 22 hit. Verse 26 strikes. Verse 28 gores. You hear all of these words, striking, hitting, goring. All of these verbs, what are they doing? To one degree or another, they're causing injury, they're causing harm, they're hurting other people. What is required? What's required is a just retribution for what has been done. So verses 12 through 17 deal with what, sin, what sinful actions bring about the death penalty. You see this in the repeated phrase, shall be put to death. So as you go through verses 12 through 17, you can see that over and over again. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. You get the point. <laughs> Here are all of these sinful actions that deserve the death penalty. And here we begin with verse 12, with murder. And particularly what we're talking about is premeditated, thought out murder, killing of 
someone else. That's what is happening. It's not talking about accidental death. That's verse 13. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint a place to which he may flee. So there is this space for an accidental death. If we would go to the courts today, they would call that manslaughter, even though that sounds really bad. It's talking about this kind of accidental death. Maybe you would hit someone with your car that was an accident. The court would call that involuntary manslaughter. You didn't mean to. It was an accident, but you still took a life. And so in the Lord's economy, in the Lord's value system, he understands there's going to be those that do it willfully. They want to do it. They've premeditated. They've thought about it. There's going to be other times when, as we would say, It's an accident, but look at what God's Word says. But God let him fall into his hand. Or we could say it, but God delivered him into his hand. There is a sense here where nothing happens by accident. There is a sense here where there is a sovereign God. And while this wasn't an intent of yours, while this wasn't premeditated murder, While maybe you would say, I didn't mean to, it wasn't my intention, it was an accident, we were reminded of a sovereign God who was over all things. And there is a caveat that isn't there. Then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. Notice first that there is an altering to this person's life. They didn't mean to do it, but now there are consequences that come about. So, He might not be able to live where he was living. He might not continue to be among the people that he was among. He has to flee. He has to go somewhere else. He has to go to what? A place that the Lord will appoint. And What kind of place are we talking about here? Well, the Lord came to appoint cities of refuge in the land. Cities of refuge where these people could go to, where they could flee until their case was heard, where justice could be meted out for what they had done. And so there is this understanding in these cases where this person could flee there. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him, look at what it says there, by cunning. That word cunning is the same word that's used in Genesis 3 when it says the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. And I think there is a reason why now the Lord is bringing this word into his law. What is this person doing? This person is acting like Satan. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. What is this person doing who willfully murders his brother or his sister? He is acting, he is being like Satan. And there's going to be a consequence for that. Look at what happens after that. This man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, so he's acting like Satan. You shall take him from my altar. So what's happened? This person now has run to the altar of God. The altar of God was seen as this place of protection. It was this place of security. It was this place that would say, this is where this animal is sacrificed to provide protection for me. 
So this is a place where I'm going to claim protection from God. In fact, you can even read an event like this in 1 Kings chapter 1, where Adonijah, after the, the death of David, wanted to become king. Well, before David actually died, he wanted to become. He tried to set himself up as king. After David died, Adonijah was scared. Why? Because Adonijah did not become king. Solomon did. But what did Adonijah do? He went to the altar and he grabbed the horns of the altar and he wanted protection from God. And here in Exodus 12, what do we read? Here's this one. They've gone to the altar of God. They said, God protect me. And what does God say? I'm not going to protect you. You don't deserve protection for what you have done. You have willfully murdered somebody else. You've acted like Satan. Not even the Lord can protect this one. And so there are consequences to this death. So there are consequences to this action. So even this one is put to death. Verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. This idea of striking is not just like a one-time hit. This idea is like it's a beat down. Whoever would strike his father or his mother, you would leave them for dead. That's how much injury and how much damage that you would do to this person. Shall be put to death. Notice in this case, the father and the mother don't die, but this is don't die, but this is how elevated these people are in society, the father and the mother. You're not going to treat your father and your mother this way. You deserve to die even if you would strike your father or your mother. Whoever steals a man, sells him, anyone found to be in possession of him shall be put to death. So here is this law against kidnapping or human trafficking. You can't sell someone, you can't steal someone and sell them and be even found in possession of them. That's a reason for death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Notice how in our minds, some of these things kind of go in like descending order. Okay, you willfully kill someone. I understand that. Oh, now you just have really struck your father and your mother, but they didn't die. Do you really deserve to die? Yes. Well, I just stole somebody and sold them. Do I deserve to die? Yes. Well, I've just cursed my father or my mother. Just said some words. Notice how the Lord elevates the family. Notice how the Lord elevates father and mother. Notice how he says, this is the bedrock to my society are these families that honor me. You can't curse your father and your mother. You can't call down curses from God upon them and think that that's okay. Why? Why all of these laws and judgments about what it is that someone deserves the death penalty? Well, a few things. First, this death penalty is not new, is it? Here, Exodus 21 is not the first time that we see the death penalty. Where does it begin? All the way back in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah came out of the ark, God said this, this to him. This is Genesis 9, 5, and 6. 
and for your life, but I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. For his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is the difference right here, dear brother and sister. This is the difference between our answer and the answer of the world when it comes to how much, of, how much is a life worth. A life is worth so much and is so precious because it is created in the very image of God. These scenarios are vicious attacks and full-on assaults against the very image of God. They are very serious in the eyes of God and so should be serious in our eyes as well. Why does God want to protect life the way that he does? Because life is a reflection of him. And when you would destroy life, when you would devalue life, you're not just saying something about life, you're saying something about God and who he is. Is God valuable? Is God precious? Is the image of God worth much? We see how much it's worth in these verses. These next verses, however, 18 through 27, move into scenarios where someone is injured, but the injury does not cause death. So, as we go through these, a little quickly, two men quarrel. Seems like this is spontaneous. One strikes the other with a stone or with his fist. He doesn't come with a weapon. A stone might just be laying around his fist. That's why I think maybe this is a spontaneous quarrel or fight. He strikes the other man with his fist or with a stone. The man does not die but takes to his bed. Then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time. So this man was not able to work during that time. So was not able to provide, was not able to go out in the field. So he will have to take care of him. And it also appears that he will have to pay his medical expenses. Shall have him thoroughly healed. So you make sure that he is taken care of. When a man strikes a slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. To this I understand it to mean it's the same as before. It's the death penalty. If you strike a slave with a rod and he dies, he shall be avenged. You shall take the person's life who killed him. What is it saying? The slave is not just property, he's a person. They're worth something. They are made in the image of God. They shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, and to this I think there's a sense here of recovery, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. So if the master does this, the man who strikes his slave, male or female, the slave is the one who would have brought in produce, would have worked in the field for him, would have allowed him to be productive. He's not hurt the slave only, but he's also hurt himself, hasn't he, in doing this? So, he pays, in a way, he pays for what he's done. More about this idea of slavery here in a second. How about when men strive together and they 
hit a pregnant woman. Well, it could happen that when they hit this pregnant woman, her children come out. I take this to mean a premature delivery. And notice here, when this child comes out, there is no harm. If there was harm, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But if there is no harm, there is a fine that is imposed upon the person who hit her by the woman's husband. So there's this grief, there's this anxiety, there's difficulty that came upon this couple because their child was born prematurely, and so the person who hit her has to pay. There is a fine imposed upon him. But again, notice this just retribution. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This verse lies at the center of our section of text this morning. It's what in Latin is called the lex talionis. It's this idea of the punishment fits the crime. And so whatever you do, there is a just retribution to what happens. You don't get off scot-free. There is a payment. And what's interesting as we think about this here for a moment, with some, we take it very literally. Life for life. We already saw that in the first few verses, in verses 12 through 17. There was a life for life that was paid. But notice here in verses 26 and 27, When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. And so we see, even after this, that this wasn't applied too literalistically. But it did a few things. One... It made sure that people just couldn't buy their way out of their crime. In other cultures, in other lands, that's what could happen. You could do injury, you could do harm, and if you were wealthy enough, you could just buy your way out. It's not the case here for the Israelites. They couldn't just buy their way out. There has to be a just retribution as equally as painful. And it's not just monetary. It's not just the fine oftentimes. There's other things that go along with it. But also notice how it brings great restraint to justice. It doesn't go beyond what's required. It doesn't doesn't ask for more than what's been done. It brings great restraint. The punishment is proportional and appropriate exactly what was deserved. That gets to the problem of the human heart, doesn't it, again? We want that revenge. I'm going to get back what has been done to me. What's the problem? We lack self-control. Romans 12, 12 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. He is the just judge. How often do we want to take matters into our own hands? We want to be like James and John when Jesus was rejected by people. James and John said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? How often are we ready to press the nuclear button? You did this to me? I'm going to show you. Are we willing to leave it in the hands of God? Are we willing to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly? Or will we only be satisfied if we take matters into our own hands? Going on, here's an interesting section, isn't it? When an ox gores a man and that, or a woman and they die, the ox shall be stoned, but the flesh shall not be eaten. Most likely because it's considered unclean because of what it's done. So you're not going to eat the ox. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. So what's going on here? As we think about the Israelites living in close proximity to one another, the idea here is you can't live an irresponsible, negligent, negligent life. You have to be a responsible citizen. You have to be thinking that what's yours, your property, your animals, your things could cause harm to other people. So don't be irresponsible. Take care of these things. Just like your ox. You're not liable if this happens. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and the owner has been warned about it, but has not kept it in. So notice here, it seems like there is a goring that leads to death, and there is a goring that does not lead to death. This ox has gored at other times, but those people haven't died. Otherwise, the ox would be dead. But the owner has been warned. The owner hasn't kept the ox in, hasn't been responsible. The ox gets out or goes out again, and it kills a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and then what happens? Then the owner is liable. Then the owner shall be put to death. But there is a caveat, isn't there? Next verse. If a ransom is imposed on him. And as I think of the context of these verses, it would be appropriate if this person was put to death, but remember, this is not necessarily premeditated murder. This is still negligence. So there is another way out. And the way out is there can be a ransom a price that is paid for the life that was taken. So if a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give the redemption of his life, whatever is imposed upon him. Notice this is not called a fine. This is called a ransom. Your life hangs in the balance. This person whose ox killed another person they are not free to do whatever they want to do. They are underneath a ransom. And that ransom can be paid for the redemption of his life. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with accordingly. Same way. Same rule. If it's someone's son or daughter. 
And then look at verse 32. And in our own Western eyes, this verse might kind of rub us the wrong way, right? If we read it. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to the master, to their master, 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. You good with that? One, it's not up to us to answer that question. It's God, right? But second, I think as we look at this verse and we understand a man could have a ransom imposed for his life that he would pay to redeem his life, what is this verse saying? The same thing. You can pay if a slave is killed as well. Just like the other man could pay for his life, you could pay for a slave as well. And lest we think that this is egregious, 30 shekels of silver was no small sum to them. That was a hefty sum. And also, if we think about it, the reason why it's fixed, the reason why it's 30 shekels of silver is so that the slave's life would not be devalued. The the, the value is set. It's fixed. You can't pay any less than this. You can't somehow devalue the slave's life. So again, I think what it's saying here is the slave is not property. The slave is a person. And so you shall treat this slave the same way as you would. As if it was anyone else. As we think about these verses this morning, I think about why does God have to put all of these scenarios into into this book of the covenant? Because these are scenarios that come up because of sinful man. And what strikes me to the core is the fact that as we think about these and we think about what happens and then what is a result, what is deserved because of what happens, what's deserved by those who would do such things, whether it's murder, whether it's striking someone else, whether it's hitting a pregnant woman, whether it's letting your ox gore someone else, what is deserved because of these various actions, because of these various sins. And then it makes me think about my own life and maybe your own life for a second. What is it that you deserve? What is it that you deserve because of your own sin? For the wages of sin is death. That is what our sin has earned us death. That is what we rightly deserve. God's judgment is always just. It never goes beyond what is deserved. So the fact that we have sinned against an infinitely holy God means that we rightly, justly, God not going beyond what we deserve, we deserve death because of our sin against Him. And what is required? Life for life. How is it that we are still living? How is it that we have not had to pay our own life, it's because of God's grace. And here is what should have happened. 
what should have happened was life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. But what has happened? Isaiah 53. Surely he, who is this? The suffering servant of God. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. We were not burned. We were not wounded. We were not stricken. He was. Why? For his own sin? No, for our sin. God's just wrath was poured out upon Jesus Christ for the sin that we had done, for the, him receiving the penalty that we deserved, him making atonement in our place as our substitute. What is it that we deserved? We deserved death because of our sin. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ paid the ransom for our life. He didn't pay the ransom for his own life. Why? There was no ransom to pay for his life. His is the perfect, spotless life. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. And turn with me. Look at Mark chapter 10. Look at Mark chapter 10. I don't have enough time. Mark 10. Verse 43. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as what? As a ransom, as a payment for many. Why did he pay that payment? Not for himself. That ransom was the payment made for us. Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus Christ paid the redemption price for us so that we could live. So that the death that we deserved, we don't get. The wrath of God we deserved, we don't get. We get life. We get forgiveness. We get freedom. We get eternal life. We get joy. And how much... How much is a slave's life worth? Thirty shekels of silver. Does that ring a bell? What happens when Judas Iscariot comes before the chief priests and says, I'm willing to betray Jesus Christ. What will you give me for him? We will give you 30 pieces of silver for him. 
What's the message? This is what we think Jesus' life is worth. This is the blood money that we will give you for Jesus. We'll give you 30 pieces of silver. What were they doing? Devaluing the life of Christ. We think of him as nothing more than a slave. That's what he is to us. That's what he's worth to us. Nothing more, nothing less. So we will give you 30 pieces of silver for this slave. Does that make you mad? What would Jesus say to that? I think he would say, that's precisely what I am. Why would I say that? Mark 10, what I just read, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And now a parallel thought, saying the same thing in just slightly different way. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. So Jesus is saying the same thing in surround sound so that we get the whole picture. You're going to be great. You have to be a servant. You have to be a slave of everyone. And what's the greatest picture of what it means to be a slave of all. The greatest picture is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve as a slave. How did he do that? He gave his life as a ransom for many, many people. Jesus says, I am the slave of all who gave my life as a ransom so that many, 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 many people could be slaves. Look at how men tried to devalue Jesus' life. Look at how men tried to drag him down. And Jesus said, my life is worth giving up so that many people can have life. How much is a life worth? So much so that the perfect, sinless son of God would die to give people life. That's how much a life is worth. That's how much my life is worth. That's how much your life is worth. It was necessary for the Son of God to die for ruined sinners to save them from the lake of fire, the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What mercy for sinners! Our sins were many. The penalty for our sin was great. Suffering, the eternal punishment, destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, weighed on our minds and on our hearts as an unbearable thought. But Christ came, giving life and light to all who believe in him. He comes giving himself, sacrificing himself, dying under the wrath of God, all while proclaiming this truth. Your life is worth more than you could ever imagine. Your life is precious. Your life is meant to know the love, the grace, the mercy, and the glory of God forever. For the wages of sin is death, yes, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not put your faith in him, if you have not been transformed by him, the wages of your sin is death. But the good news this morning is that Jesus Christ has come to die to take the penalty upon himself that you deserved to die in your place so that you could be forgiven of your sin and know eternal life. 
Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. God, life is worth so much, is so precious, is so valuable. We've heard this morning already that Jesus Christ is worth giving our lives for. But the only reason he's worth giving our lives for is because He's already given his life for us. He's given us so much. He's given us the grace of God, the mercy of God. He's not given us what we truly deserved. You've not given us what we truly deserved because of his sacrifice. Father, would that do anything in our lives to where we would say, I cannot live my life in any way like this world, I cannot live my life for myself. I cannot, cannot continue in sin. I cannot hide sin. I need to be transformed. Today, would you transform hearts and lives? Today, would you awaken us once again to the truth? How precious Christ's life is, how precious our life is because of Christ's sacrifice. He paid the ransom for us. His life for our life. His stripes for our stripes. His wounds for our healing. Let us live in the light of this truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.